Today on Ag News Daily. When you say the three P's, the people, pigs, planet, I mean, we're trying to, we're taking this data and actively using it on decisions that we're, we're making every day on, on the operations. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Happy hump day, I should say, Ashton, because we are now through the middle part of the week. And it's hard to believe today is December 1st, so it also kicks off Christmas season for those of you who think you have to wait until December 1st to play Christmas music. I will fight you on that. (laughs) Delaney, this year, normally we do our Christmas decorations back home. We put them up on the Friday after Thanksgiving, but we actually put them up on Thanksgiving night this year. So we were a little early. I have to admit, I usually am super on top of putting up my Christmas decorations and my lights and I have my tree up, but that's about as far as I've gotten. I do not have it decorated. I do not have my Christmas lights hung up yet because Blaine has not been volunteering to help me do that quite yet. So we're not very Christmas fied around here yet. Well, this is the first time that I've lived on my own. So my roommates have always had Christmas trees that we've put up together. So I was in charge of my own Christmas tree at my apartment this year. And I got just a little mini tree from Target for like $5. And that's about as Christmassy as my apartment is going to get this year. Well, that's okay. At least you have a tree that's better than nothing. My little brother sent me a picture of his tree, whatever, a couple nights ago. And it's like a little Charlie Brown tree. It just has lights on it, no decorations. And he's very content with that. So to each their own. Well, Delaney, before we get into talking some news here, I want to remind everyone that today's episode is brought to you by the National Pork Board. Request your free on-farm sustainability report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. And Delaney, we are going to be talking a little bit more about this report like we've kind of teased up here. So I am ready to hop into the news so we can get over to that interview. What about you? I certainly am as well, Ashton. I'm going to kick things off here with some pork-related news. Not, oh, I shouldn't say pork-related. I should say protein-related news. A couple of different pieces actually today, but two major headlines that I saw today trickling across the news wires are both dealing with protein supply chain disruptions. The FTC has officially started an investigation into supply chain disruptions that happened during COVID-19 and have ordered companies like Tyson, Walmart, and more to participate in this investigation to look at ongoing supply chain disruptions and specifically how these disruptions are causing hardships for consumers and harming competition in the U.S. economy, which I think is kind of building here off of what we've seen, especially in the meat processing industry, as a lot of companies are continuing to be held accountable for alleged price fixing, so much so that the second piece of news I had to report here, Ashton, was that Cook Foods and Four Pilgrims Pride Corporation executives have been charged for their roles in an alleged nationwide broiler chicken price-fixing conspiracy and are now set to go to trial near the end of 2022. So just a quick update there on that front as well. 
Well, Delaney, the EPA is also doing some reviewing of its own, but they will be reviewing the dicamba label for some more potential changes. And this, of course, is a headline that we have seen um, quite a few times here. But nonetheless, EPA's Rick Kugwin tells Brownfield Ag News that while he can't say if the herbicides label will be updated, the agency is continuing to receive complaints of drift damage from conventional and organic growers. The EPA most recently updated Dicamba's label back in 2020, prohibiting over-the-top application after June 30th on soybeans and July 30th on cotton. Kugwin says Dicamba has been particularly challenging to set regulations for, which I think that we can kind of pick up on here because we have really seen the same story, you know, time and time again about these drift challenges or and the damages that it's causing of uh, for these conventional and organic growers. So not anything particularly new, just, I guess, a little bit more development in this story. And Ashton, I think uh, probably a big portion of why they're doing that is because we've seen some recent dicamba issues. Uh, a team of University of Illinois weed scientists have confirmed they've identified the first dicamba-resistant population of water hemp in a farmer's field in Champaign County, Illinois, which is the same population of water hemp that is resistant to six herbicide groups. And so they said in a quote, I thought this was kind of funny, kind of not, but they said they're reluctant, reluctant to use the R word with regard to dicamba because Dr. Aaron Hager had originally been called into this field because of poor control with HPPD inhibitors, group 27 herbicides. Uh, so they're like that, that quote indicates there, they're hesitant to say that for sure, the, this new strain is resistant to the current dicamba technology, but certainly a possibility. And it sounds like uh, it could get an overhaul anyways, you know, if we do see Cong- if we do see the government step in and change things anyways, too. So, Delaney, I read that story yesterday, and I don't think that they even sprayed that field with dicamba itself or anything. I think that was a right. of drift, right? I think it was as well. Yes, absolutely. Interesting there, but uh, I'm going to move things down to Brazil here and talk about biofuels as some biofuels companies and farm lobbies are pushing the government to reverse a measure announced earlier this week that maintained the minimum biofuel content level in diesel at 10% for all of 2022. And it's getting some backlash here just because this is a loss of investments made and jobs that would be generated here. And I want to kind of give a little backstory here because this 10% mix represents a drop from the 13% requirement initially planned for 2021 and a sharper fall from the 14% that was supposed to be adopted from March 2022. I'm not exactly sure why they made such a a drastic drop going from 14% down to 10%, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. And like I said, receiving some backlash here. So I'm not sure if the government is going to reverse this or what's going to really happen from here, but I will definitely be keeping my ears to the ground with this one. Absolutely. And one thing I've been keeping my ears to the ground on here is, of course, uh, fertilizer prices because they are continuing to go higher here. And we saw released by DTN today the cost of fertilizer prices for 
November through the end of November, I should say, have been, of course, no surprise at all time highs. They show that the average fertilizer retail price continued to climb higher the fourth week of November and seven of the eight major fertilizers recorded considerable moves higher compared to last month even. They said it's about 5% higher month over month here and leading the way has been anhydrous, which was up 33% Ashton from October. That is a crazy jump that we are seeing in this market. And it seems like it's not an an end anytime soon. Well, Delaney, I just have one other story that I wanted to talk about for today. But before I get into that, I just want to say a quick thank you, of course, to National Pork Board for sponsoring today's podcast. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org sustainability. And with that, Delaney, I'm going to hop into my last story here talking about the H-2A visa program, which is actually something that I researched quite a bit here because I did my ag law term paper on the H-2A visa mm. program. So I um, am a little passionate about the what's going on with the program. And we've seen some developments here as the Department of Labor says that it's revealing how it will determine wage rates for seasonal foreign workers in the H-2A visa program. DOL says it wants to revise the process that it uses to calculate hourly adverse effect wage rates. The agency says that it wants an adequate supply of legal ag labor and to protect wages and working conditions for similar employees. The proposed regulations will rely on the Farm Labor Survey to establish the rates according to the process that the DOL has used for the last 30 years. And comments on the proposed rule can be submitted on or before January 31st, 2022. So if you're a producer out there that does use the H-2A visa program, definitely submit your comments. Ashton, I'm curious, why did you pick that to do your paper on? Were you told to do it on that? And what did you what did you learn? Tell us. So, I mean, my professor, you know, we've been talking about things, uh, you know, about um, property laws, and we even got into common law marriage and things of that nature, but we never really got into ag labor. But, you know, just being at World Pork Expo this summer, actually got to talk to a few folks about the H-2A visa program. And it's been one that I think is pretty interesting because quite a few people are pushing for immigration reform and, you know, um, reform in the program itself. So I just thought that it was pretty interesting and I even read up that uh, quite a few producers even hire lawyers to take them through the H-2A process. Mm -hmm. And it's one that's lengthy. And, you know, there's so many economic factors that go into the program, you know, it's workers. And so I just thought that it was pretty interesting. So I learned quite a few things, you know, some people are for the reform, but some say that weakening its provisions would harm ag labor. So I I just thought it was pretty interesting to get to know, you know, from an empirical basis, how people are looking at the program. Well, that's very interesting. Good to see that your degree is uh, paying off. I would hope it's paying off because it's put a ton of pressure on me. So I'm glad that it's paying off as well, but I'm I'm ready to be done. 
Well, good. And you are close to being done. I'm close to being done here with the news. But I had just one other quick piece of updates here to share with folks before we hop into chatting markets, because this is a little bit of a market impact. Uh, You know, we're continuing to watch the ethanol industry and see how that recovers after COVID-19 and folks shutting down. We, of course, have not seen Congress or excuse me, we have not seen anything come out of the White House yet as far as the new renewable fuels standard and their uh, take on that. No surprise that deadline was passed and we are putting that in the rearview mirror. So we'll continue to see if we got any updates there. But we did see that U.S. commercial crude oil stocks have fallen by about 9 million, excuse me, about 900,000 barrels last week, ending November 26th, which puts inventories at roughly 6% below the five-year average. And gasoline stocks rose by about 4 million barrels. So we're seeing a lot of shift there supply and demand-wise on the uh, gasoline side of things. But we're starting really to see the oil industry, the oil markets, find some stability. And that's certainly trickled over into the ethanol industry as well. And I was reading a little bit of news today about that and just how ethanol production is still slipping, but is up for this time of year as far as ethanol being used. So folks are getting back out there. They are picking ethanol at the pump and it does continue to exceed the seasonal weekly pace needed to hit the USDA's target of 5.25 billion bushels for the marketing year of intended use for ethanol. So overall, all in all, it seems like the market there, the ethanol market and the oil market are recovering from COVID-19 supply chain issues and the lack of driving folks were doing. So just wanted to throw that piece of news out there as well. Well, Delaney, both of us have now wrapped up our news for today. What do you say we get into the markets? Let's do it, Ashton. And before we get into today's markets, I just want to make one more quick mention, one more quick thank you to our sponsors at the National Pork Board. And it's very timely. We're talking about their new sustainability report that uh, is a new tool for pork producers. So folks, be sure to check that out at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability, because as you look at today's ever-changing savvy consumers, you have to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. We're going to talk today about doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. But as I mentioned, this is a free tool for producers to help you measure and document your farm's sustainability efforts. National Pork Board encourages you to check out and create a free on-farm sustainability report. And as we're going to hear in just a little bit, it is pretty easy to do. And these reports will help you measure a lot of different variables including production efficiencies and ways to improve your bottom line. You can request your free report at portcheckoff.org slash sustainability. And with that, Ashton, we certainly saw a little bit of a turnaround today in the markets after we sold off pretty heavily Monday and Tuesday. The markets shrugged that off today to claw their way back into the green. December corn today closed up five cents, ending at 572. The March up four to close at 571 and a half. January soybeans today added 11 cents, closing at 1228 and a quarter. The March up eight and a half cents, ending at 1235 on the nose. 
And in the wheat pits today, we saw mixed trade across the wheat complex. Chicago finished mostly higher. December ending the day four and three quarters cents to higher to end at 778 and a half. The March up three and a quarter to close at 790 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw green across the screen today. For the December live cattle contract to end 12 and a half cents higher at 136, the February up 70 cents to close at 138.60. In the feeder cattle markets today, the January contract up 97 and a half cents to close at 165.82 and a half, the March up $1.40 to close at 167.90. We even saw that strength continue today. But if you look at a little bit further here, Past the front month contracts, we do see a little bit of weakness when you look out April and beyond. In December today, up a quarter to close at 73.62 and a half. The February up 15 to close at 80.12 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. Mixed trade today is the December contract closed three cents higher to end at 18.04. The January down 11 to close at 18.10. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation today, talking sustainability with Ross Mogler and the National Pork Board. Well, folks, as sustainability continues to be an important message coming across multiple industries, but especially the hog sector of agriculture. We're chatting today about that and some of the new measures put in place by the National Pork Board with Ross Mogler of Mogler Farms up there in Northwest Iowa. Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Ross, before we talk sustainability, I want to ask a little bit more about your background, because I know Mogler Farms up there in the northwest corner of the state of Iowa is pretty big and pretty well known for being hog and livestock producers. Tell us a little bit more about your operation and your role within that. Sure. We are a a multi-generational family. So my grandfather, uh, who is still alive and still, uh, well, he's taken a limited role in the operational side of the business finally he's 90 and decided he should probably start slowing down a little bit spending more time with grandma but uh he uh he has blessed us with the opportunity for his children to uh to farm and to take care of uh, land and livestock up in this area and that has thankfully been passed on to my generation now and we uh touch about uh operate about four three thousand acres of cropland um market uh, a fair number of hogs a year and then also have cattle feedlot facilities that we that we own and operate you guys certainly stay busy that's for sure yes we do so ross i'm going to go ahead and kick off the sustainability conversation because that's what we're really here to talk about today and there are some new things going on with npd so why don't you go ahead and lead us into that okay yeah national pork board uh has a new environment, well, it's not really new, but they're trying to push out an environmental initiative to to growers across not only the, the state of Iowa, but across the, the whole U.S. And they're trying to just to help producers be able to, you know, better answer questions that they get from the community or others in the industry, you know, about why why manure is is what it is, be able to share why that's a valuable resource. Um, how we're trying to safeguard water quality, air quality, the different things that the public gets to see, but oftentimes doesn't get a chance to to ask questions. And so they've reached out uh, to some sustainable 
sustainability companies and have put together a sustainability analysis for growers, for pig farmers across the country that they can give their data um, and be able to prove why we're doing what we're doing and how it is beneficial to the environment so that we have, we as producers who are not often uh, very well spoken or well versed in these areas, we are able to to point to something and say, this is why we are doing uh, what we're doing. This is why it's good. This is why we are able to be carbon negative. It is because of these practices that that we're doing. And this is the proof we have because it is a third party. It's not just something we're doing on our own. There is a reason why we have, are continuously trying to improve each and every day and and why the consumer should be should be happy and thankful and feel comfortable eating a, eating a, a nutritious, sustainable pork product. And I've heard Dr. Kaysen speak about this, these on-farm sustainability reports a couple of times now, and it's really interesting. You know, you're the only industry across all sectors of agriculture that are offering this to your producers for free. And Ross, as I understand it, you guys have done this on-farm sustainability report. Can you tell us what that process was like and what the results showed you? Yeah, a lot of times this day and age, people get, uh, and validly so, or rightly so, get concerned about where our data is going. Is some big company just going to scoop it up, sell our data, you know, try to get a an edge over top of us by using our data, something that we don't know how to use. But the company that the NPB had set up to work with us on, super, super people to work with, um, very, very painless process. I was able to have a couple calls with them and to get my data taken care of. They had great questions. Um, reached out to me multiple times and after the fact, just to make sure that they were interpreting something that my farmer records, uh, what they showed was what uh, was actually what it meant. And they they got back to me before they published the report and to go over it. And it was uh, it was just really neat to be able to see because we can we can talk about things of why we think we do what we do and just just having the ability to quantify. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sustainability part of it has been was really great for us as an operation, but for me personally, because I I manage the agronomy side of our operation, and so to be able to just to to show the team that that I work with that hey this is this is why we're going to leave our community our land in better condition for uh for our future generations that are following behind this is why we do it. Yeah, and it really gives you kind of the science, like you said, there quantifies the knowledge that yeah. you knew all along, that producers know all along, but it gives you some hard facts and data to share with folks. And I think it's also interesting too. I'm going to coin this term. I don't know if it's a real term or not, but it gives you the three P's as well, focusing on the people side, the pig side, but also the planet side and what hog farmers are doing for the planet as a whole when as it relates to sustainability. When you look at those three P's, Ross, how do you guys work day to day to take what you found in the report and improve those three areas for hog farmers, you know, all across the U.S., not just on your operation? Sure. Yeah, great question. Um, so, yeah, when you when you say the three P's, the people, pigs, planet, I mean, we're trying to we're taking this data and actively using it on decisions that we're we're making every day on on the operations. So we're empowering our employees with knowledge. To be able to say, hey, this is, we need to make this decision or we need to tweak this because this will affect 
this will affect the, the total number of tons of, uh, of soil carbon that we can sequester. Or, hey, if we, if we do this practice, if we tweak this just a little bit, we can save a couple more ton an acre, you know, from being eroded in the event of a, of a, of a big rain um, or flooding, that type of, that type of scenario. Um, trying, to, trying to get, well, we always do what's right for the pigs each and every day because if you don't take care of the pigs, they will not take care of you. And so being able to do that, but uh, also being committed to the transparency side as that affects uh, the rest of the operation all the way up then to the end consumer, which is another P for people again. I mean, everything is tied together so much and we can't do it without the planet. If we don't take care of the planet, it's uh, we're not going to we're not going to last very long, as we know. So, Ross, of course, you've been through this process, and I want to know a little bit more about what the time commitment looks like, because I think that that's another thing that producers get a bit weary about is really committing the time to go through these kinds of things. And, you know, of course, this report is something new. So do you have any insight there on really how long it takes to get incorporated with the with the report? Yeah, it completely blew my mind how how easy how seamless the information was able to flow. They could take basically any format that I had data collected. Um, they could easily transition that into the report. They have all the, the metrics there, all the tools to be able to take all that data, unpack it, maybe spend a total of three hours over the entire process. So it was, it was, it was great to not have to spend that much time. I mean, it was, yeah, blew my mind how easy that was. And Ross, as you look at, you know, it was an easy process. Sounds like overall a great experience. What were the take-home messages or what were things that this report showed you that allowed you to improve the Mogler operation? Yeah, so we, it's not, the old expression is it's not your grandpa's business anymore. And my grandpa, bless his heart, has been uh, great with helping us to, or encouraging me even to adapt to some of the new ideas. He enjoys reading the different articles online and in mag, farm magazines and stuff. And so he's, he's actually one of the bigger pushers towards me, even questioning why I'm doing something or why I haven't decided to switch to, to this practice. So it is not the way our grandfathers used to farm, the way we do things. And so just being able to, to see the improvement of what it, what it would have been had we continued the the farming practices of, you know, the seventies, eighties, even the early 1990s, just the amount of, of waste, but we didn't know any better. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have the technology back then to be able to capture these types of measurements. And it was what, what they knew. And so thankfully um, being able to see this report, being able to, to tweak practices um, more no-till, you know, guys in this area are switching more over to strip till as well, which is huge um, for soil erosion, sequestering carbon. But just seeing that that negative number on the carbon emissions, that was that was like the sweet spot that was, that made it all worth it. Even more so than the only three hours it took to get the data uh, transferred over. But uh, just seeing that, I mean, it was great. I have brothers, and we are most of my cousins are off farm. And quite a few of them in big cities um, have a brother that lives overseas. And 
I mean, they get questioned on this type of stuff. Oh, you grew up on a farm. Well, all we hear is that farmers are basically dumping chemicals into their livestock or onto their field, or they're all they do is run big, big equipment and burn up all this fuel, and they're they're not saving the planet. But being able to to give them even a you know a piece of paper that says, hey, this is everything you need to know. This is how many tons of soil we saved. This is how many tons of carbon we reduced from the atmosphere. This is how much we sequestered in the ground. This is why we are sustainable. This is why we are taking care of the planet. It's because we are carbon negative. And most most big farmers in America, I believe, are are pretty close to that. They just don't know it because they're scared to they're scared to do this type of work. And I would I would encourage anybody everybody to to get the report it's free cost you a couple hours of your time and uh it's worth it in the end well ross let's go ahead and direct our listeners over to where they can get involved in the report themselves where can they find that kind of information online to hopefully get involved yeah they can go to porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability or you can just Google sustainability and pork checkoff. Um, and that will that will take you there. And you can request a, a free on-farm sustainability report. They'll hook you up with the people that need to, that you need to be with. And the company will take it from there. Awesome. Well, Ross, it's been great to get to know a little bit more about you, your operation, how you guys use the report. So thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks again there once more to Ross for coming on and chatting with us about his family's operation, how they incorporated that report onto their farm. And once again, of course, thank you to the National Pork Board for sponsoring today's episode. Absolutely. Big thanks to them. We appreciate their hard work and all of your hard work, whether you're out in the fields getting some fall application done, whether you're listening to us, hopefully in your hog buildings and uh, taking care of those livestock. We certainly appreciate our listeners as well, Ashton. We certainly do, Delaney. But with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.